This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, the internet, all of the good stuff. Uh, tonight on the show, it's Laura Summers behind the desk. How are you, Laura? Yeah, doing good. Thanks, Warren. Have you had a, a good week in technology? Fair? Oh, look, I totally like just zonked and avoided technology all weekend. I, mm. I was telling the guys before, I just had a really big sleep in on Saturday and mm. Sunday I was out at the market and cooking and like doing totally non-digital things. It was oh, great. Nice. It's kind of like when you're at a conference or something and the moleskins, everyone's out there just kind of doodling away and enjoying being <laughs> off the, the screens for a little bit if they can. Yeah. Yeah. You need the contrast, right? You know, you mm. need the light to appreciate the dark. You need the, the analog to appreciate the digital. Mm, absolutely. Uh, also behind the desk, it's James Noble. James, how are you tonight? I'm all right. How are you? Really good. Um, I've had a quiet time as well. I, it, was, uh, it was my birthday a, few, a week and a half ago and I oh. took three days off the internet. It was the first time in a decade or more. Was, yeah, uh, wow. I couldn't remember what to do with social media when I got back on it again. <laughs> do I browse this? Or do how I does this work? Yeah, yeah. It's quite nice. Um, happy birthday. And did, did, did you get any technology at all? Or? Uh, no, I got about 14 bottles of whiskey from around the world. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so much for giving up my, uh, for my birthday, uh, I was to give up drinking. I don't think that's going to happen in the next two years now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am also behind the desk. Uh, my name is Warren Davies. Um, if you um, had to guess how, it might, how long it might take to move the MCG six feet to the left, do you think you would do a good job, either of you? Estimating how long it would take? To move the MCG. I, I would literally not even bother trying. Wouldn't try? How about, James, how about um, adding an extra lane on Punt Road? Do you reckon you could oh, have yeah, a crack at that? I could have a crack at that. Yes. Well, project estimation is, in fact, a hugely important task. Um, it does affect all of our lives, especially when it's done badly. Um, not talking about the MBN or anything related. Um, and for de- developers of all kinds, it's critical to success. Um, a startup tackling this dark art is Estimate Work, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, they'll join us in a few minutes to talk through how they're tackling it. Uh, last year, I did have a parlor gig at my place with Triple uh, R's own Sam Cummins and Hooper Crescent. Uh, they pretty much got paid in stew and beer, but um, they were very generous with their time. Um, it's a lovely idea having uh, a gig or even just going to a gig at a stranger's house uh, or even a friend's house um, to see uh, a band that you might otherwise see uh, at a pub or a venue. Um, so there's a few places um, having a look at this and uh, a new entrant to the space um, will be joining us uh, a little bit later on in the show as well. Um, to find out how that's going. But first, uh, there is a bit of news um, uh, locally and around the world that we wanted to talk about. Um, bikes. Um, do, you guys, do you guys ride much or are you public transport, cars? Um, I cycle every now and then, but to be honest, when it's been cold, I've been maybe sticking with the tram. Yeah. Um, but I do like a cycle, especially when the sun's out. I walk a lot. I hey, walk every day. I walk about That's so good for you. It's yeah, a, it's great for your health. My bike has been left at work for about two years now. It's become like the ride to a meeting bike that mm. uh, just has to have its tires pumped. Yeah, regularly. Aww. But uh, so it gets to it gets used. But yeah, no, I I did, I used to use the um, the bikes in the city. The, mm. When I w- had a, we used to work in the city, I would use those because you had free mm. thirty minutes. So it was just when I was always late, I would always have enough time just because one right <laughs> up front to get to the client meeting, and I have to pay for that. <laughs> we were a startup. Come on, I'm using that mentality. <laughs> there is a uh, a new entrant um, to the tour de Melbourne. Um, 
you may have seen a few of them around. They're interesting because they uh, are not locked up and you do actually just use um, an app to unlock them. Uh, Obike is a, a Singapore company that uh, has launched um, in Australia recently. Um, it's interesting, yeah, you, you download the uh, app to your phone, um, you get directions or you can sort of find your nearest um, O-bike um, and then uh, using the notorious QR code, um, you can unlock it and off you go. Um, and then you have to lock it uh, again at the other end. But that's kind of nice. It's got They've got designated park zones, which I, I, I've seen a few of them around and I haven't noticed these designated park zones. It just looks like someone's left a bike and I'm like, that's not going to be there when someone tries to get it back. Yeah, um, Melbourne's notorious for bikes getting stolen, right? So, yeah. I mean, I suppose with it being locked remotely via this app, um, mm. it wouldn't do them much good. But would you know that when you're trying to steal a bike? No. And I, I guess you could just kind of throw it on a on the back of a, or throw it in a ute or throw it in a car and try mm. and sort of figure it out later. But um, it's a nice idea. Um, mm. It does try and solve some of the problems that the um, early Melbourne bike share um, system had um, around helmets. Um, so they are suggesting that helmets are um, uh, connected to it. I think they've got baskets, so there might just be a helmet in the basket. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a nice idea. I'm hoping that the have you ever try, mistakenly taken a shopping trolley too far away from the supermarket and the lock comes on and it, you kind of hit oh, a halt? No. I'm kind of hoping that the uh, the locking system on these has like kind of like a gives you about 15 feet so you can have these entertaining <laughs> moments mm. where people are trying to over the handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really smart idea, like GPS gating it so that it has a Once vicinity the app within. Is further away from the. Yeah. The bike, then it automatically locks, right? You have to remember to lock because otherwise yeah. it's going to burn your fare while someone's whizzing around. Mm. Melbourne. Uh, another, another piece of machinery that's um, quite clever is a um, machine invented by forensic scientists. Um, Laura, what's going on here? Yeah, somewhere else that you may possibly want a helmet is this um, pneumatic stabbing arm that these forensic scientists, I kid you not, Dan's having a good chuckle behind the desk. It's um, Stabby McStab, knifey knifey. Yeah. That is literally what I was calling it, Stabby McStab face. Um, but it is, it is in the interest of solving violent crime and these scientists are interested in seeing um, what kinds of angles and what levels of um, pressure and attack force create different kinds of rips in fabric and that is potentially a way to determine, for instance, um, you know, whether a smaller assailant or a larger assailant could have done that attack. Um, but they find that simply reproducing these in a, in a forensic uh, sort of in a in a lab is really hard to do consistently. Like you have to pick up a knife and stab. Basically human error, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, like they get lots and lots of human error and lots and lots of um, inconsistencies. And it's very hard to sort of find the patterns in how those um, cuts through the fabric happen. So they have this, this uh, machine. I don't think it had a name, but um, it does now. It does now. <laughs> Steffi McStab face. Um, and it can, it has 60 possible stabbing positions and the knife holder allows for a range of stabbing implements to be used. So they can try lots of different knives and see what different outcomes that, that puts in the fabric. A spoon if you really hate someone. Oh man. <laughs> I see you've played knifey spoony before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's, um. It is Tuesday, Wednesday, right? It's Tuesday. No, it's Tuesday. No. It is. <laughs> Um, but yeah, certainly it's a really fascinating idea that um, it's hard to to, de to determine for forensic science like what these patterns look like because I think particularly because a knife is a very like you know obviously sharp and small implement so it's it's a way of actually like reproducing that same stab wound with that exact same force at that exact same angle multiple times and then really like getting that consistent data for them to analyze. Because then they can figure out which that what what was used and then hopefully look for that. 
that that particular kind of implement yeah. and also determine like what angle which means how high or low the assailant would have been to stab as well as like how much force they could have put behind it yeah yeah pretty fascinating research and well, also stabby mcstag face it's both from the university of, uh, university of technology sydney and with a collaboration with the university of santa cruz uh, so it's quite yeah. nice to see some cross collaboration to come up with an idea to try and solve some problems so. absolutely uh, one of the other problems that we do have uh, at the moment is uh, James. Uh, apparently, our Medicare yeah, details are problem. right there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, so the Medicare uh, details, uh, we had this recently with other um, government systems that uh, decided to leak information and uh, be hacked quite easily. I, when I first read this, I thought it was kind of like the, the Facebook false news. I'm like, surely mm. not. Um, now, they are saying that um, they are concerned, which of course they should be, uh, the Australian government, but they're also saying that the, uh, the information that is actually being shared is actually just the name that you can see on the card, not the information related to it. But it's basically on the dark... Are they calling it the dark web now? Is that what they're still calling mm, it? The dark yes, web? That's still the name, yeah. Yeah, still the name, yep. Because uh, um, Silk Road is gone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the, that they, you can, for as little as $30, some uh, uh, journalists were able to buy their own details for $30 to be able to use as a way of claiming. So it's kind of a bit of a concern if you're with the taxpayer's money to be able to do that, but also that the fact that if it's that easy to get that information, that's a little bit scary too. Uh, it's kind of a... I just can't believe that you know you got the big companies like the IBMs and the um, in, the uh, delivering charging. What was the uh, um, the survey that was uh, they charged? Like, it was like fifteen million dollars or one hundred fifty million something silly. And mm, two, two like university IBM. students built it in in twenty four hours, and it costs like two hundred fifty dollars, like mm. to make it more secure. Like, how are you? Like, surely, there's that. I mean, they've got the digital transformation office now. We can kind of get involved in this to get some other smaller businesses that are a little bit more um, agile, do we say? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, this, it's a good question. Um, the thing that I found really shocking about this news is that apparently these details have been available for sale since October 2016, which means that this, right. this um, uh, whatever whatever the vulnerability is in this database has been out there for quite some time and no one noticed. I feel like my data is pretty secure because if you've ever tried to reset your password to MyGov on your mobile phone, <laughs> it's mighty hard. I've visited a lot of Medicare offices <laughs> in the city just because we didn't have a desktop handy to reset something. I where I had to call, but I couldn't get the phone number until I was locked in. Like, oh my God, this is a catch twenty two. I can't, I can't win here. Like, you really don't want me to use this tax rebate, do you? And it's just like mm. a bank of computers when you go in there, and they're just like, sit down. You've you've stuffed up. There you go. There's a little computer over there. Mm. Help yeah. yourself. My user experience soul is just breaking apart right now. Yeah, <laughs> those big metal buttons. Oh my you God. Know. Um, one of the things that's uh, also caught our eye uh, just quickly is um, Australian Defence Force uh, have launched a information warfare div- uh, division. Um, Laura, mm-hmm. uh, apparently they've had to approach recruitment a little bit differently. Is that right? Yeah, I found this really entertaining, to be honest. Um, mm. So so there's not very many details about what this division is going to do exactly, but you know, it's the cyber of some description. It's some mm-hmm. kind of information security. Um, and so you can imagine there's a lot of infosec people, a lot of DevOps people that they're mm. trying to recruit. So apparently the defense department had to adjust its recruitment requirements in order to bring in the skilled staff it needed, relaxing its physical entry standards. So I'm just picturing a whole bunch of neckbeards with maybe a little bit of weight around their tummies going, hmm, we're not doing that many push-ups. We're just going to, if you want our services, you're going to have to take us as we are. <laughs> Which honestly, I kind of love, like they're not going to go out in the field. So why not? Why why need them, force them to do chin-ups and really suffer? This kind of reminds me very similar of the, well, the, the UK did the same thing and maybe 
maybe in 2014, I think it was. So mm. It created a very similar, different name, but it basically defense for basically an opportunity to be able to monitor information and data that's being trolled around. I'm surprised. It, I mean, it's been happening a lot recently with governments getting the information stolen and hacked mm. um, with uh, over in the UK, like with even the Prime Minister getting her... Uh, emails hacked as well. I think there's, it's kind of becoming the new norm, uh, which is a little scary, but this is when we're supposed to trust it more and more and put our faces and our audio into things all the time. So I use uh, the OK Google thing. I'd probably go off when I say that. Um, that it's that there's more, it's the, that whole trust thing is still deciding to build up again. Like. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Coming up next, um, if you've ever had to estimate work or have a guess, um, whether it's putting up a fence, um, whether it's uh, building a website, um, whether it's rolling out the internet, um, you would be familiar with how tricky it can be. Um, everyone's got their own ways of doing it, um, averages, they get the old spreadsheet out, they cut and paste from the last one that they did. Um, a new business, uh, Estimate Work, is looking at better ways to do that. Uh, and we're now joined in the studio uh, by Amelia Schmidt. Amelia, thanks for coming in. Hello. Uh, so, was this born out of frustration of things not working particularly well for you? Uh, kind of. So, my partner Dave and I um, had built this. We used to run an agency together, which we closed down. And after that, we went and worked in product land for a bit. And uh, when we were running the agency, we were kind of thinking about this a bit. We were kind of thinking of making something for us internally and didn't end up doing it. And then we went and did got some experience making products for other people and um, then we both kind of left that and decided that now is the time for us to go out and try to build something on our own and we didn't necessarily um, have to build this we just knew we wanted to build something and that we knew that like building a product and particularly a subscription product would be kind of the, the business model that we'd like to do together because then we could kind of build a bit of a passive income and, and start like having a bit of freedom to explore new ideas. Mm. And um, this was an idea that was kind of already simmering away. So we thought we'd give that a try. Um, and yeah, it came from our experiences, but also we've worked with a lot of different agencies um, over the years. And we've noticed that it's something that lots of other people were having problems with as well and then I've kind of been doing research since then validating it and getting more feedback. Why, why is it hard to estimate a project? Because Surely we do a lot of projects that are very similar to previous ones and there'd be a lot of precedent. Um, why is it tricky? Yeah, um, humans are bad with numbers um, and bad with guessing. Uh, we we want to be better at it um, but the other thing is in teams there's a lot of um, I think anxiety around giving numbers about things that makes people worried that later on it's going to come back to bite them in some way. And um, I think basically since, like we've called it Estimate Work and we started it with an idea about estimation and as we've been kind of going on that lean journey of iterating and researching and uh, talking to people and validating the idea and, and finding out more, we've I think it's a little bit bigger than just estimation now and it's more about... Um, project kickoffs or inceptions. So like how do you, not just how do you estimate it, but how do you do that initial stage where you figure out what is involved in this project, how long is it going to take, can we do it, how much will it cost? I suspect we have absolutely no questions and no points of view, but I will throw it open. Um, would anyone like <laughs> no, to discuss this no topic? No questions and no points of view. All right, talking all right. About. thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, you, can you give us examples of like the ways in which we miss 
misestimate or like, you know, I, and I know there's a lot of cognitive biases at play in the ways that we try and plan for future work. So how do you try and um, prevent those from happening in this tool? Um, okay, so to kind of uh, rephrase the question a bit to give you the answer that I want to give you. <laughs> um, yes. You're asking me <laughs> to tell you about what are the problems that we're trying to solve. Mm. Um, so the problems is is not so much that we, I mean, okay, so firstly, as you mentioned um, to start with, there is, sure, you can, we do similar projects over and over again, but not the same project. And um, for different agencies and different not just agencies, but lots of different businesses. This is not like a, a, a stock standard process. Like depending on your business model and how you've kind of decided to bill or whether you're working on a retainer or a fixed fee contract or maybe, uh, you know, like what one of the biggest pain points would have identified, you, you're responding to a government tender or a different kind of tender. Depending on how you have to make that sale or how your interactions with your clients are or how you structure the way that you bill things, you may have to give estimates that are kind of higher or lower fidelity. So maybe it's really important that you get that number super right and there's a lot riding on it. Maybe it's not. Like maybe you're a really like traditional waterfall business or maybe you're a, you know, a lean agile business and you kind of have a lot more leeway in between how much you can and can't do, like how much you can commit to. So I don't think that there is one specific problem in that that I can pull out as what we're trying to target. And this is why I'm saying it's getting a little bit bigger. But one thing is that there isn't, even if you have done a project that is similar in the past, the differences between those projects are the things that are the things that kind of blow project out and those mm. those things might be tiny things they might be like personality problems or they might be you know it, yeah it might be just like the person is using different language and you think they mean one thing they mean a different thing or it might be that you've got a different team working on it this time and and they've got different um they work at a different speed or they've never worked together before um you know there's all these kind of it's, it's such a complex problem about how to actually get the right number for mm -hmm. how long a project's mm -hmm. going to take. I think assumptions are always a bit mi misinterpretations yeah. of, of definitions and things like that within estimates can sometimes yeah. create problems. I mean, we're all, if you think about, I think about digital as being a blessing and a curse. It's not, there's no, there's no one way to do anything. You could do, you can spend as much time, as little as time on, on one part or all of it. It just, mm. it could be, and it's all, but everyone still wants to know how much it's going to cost. Like, yeah. And they also want to know want to how much does it cost to get me Twitter or Slack? They don't want to know how much does it cost me to get me like something that's, you know, reasonably custom, but also not like a ridiculous team's worth of people. Yeah. yeah. That, that was my favorite thing on my, on the keep me into my birthday was, <laughs> I, I was finally rude to someone that was a potential client. Oh, like, it's, wow. it's my birthday. I'm going to hang up. Oh. And I just hang up. So the guy was like, I kind of, it's kind of like LinkedIn meets eBay. And like, oh. No. Yeah, I think it's it's it is tricky. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into an estimation, and like, I think one of the maybe, like, we've we've tried to just get something up and just start iterating and putting something out there and seeing if it's useful for people. But um, if anything, I think what we've done is create something that's maybe a little bit too high fidelity for the problem that we want to solve. Like really what we're talking about is like a pretty um, rough estimate that you need to give just to decide like whether to move forward or not. And it doesn't have to be like perfect or, or really, really detailed. It can just be like the reality that after the research that we've done is that people just need like something that 
is more about like getting the team to be on the same page than getting the most perfect number. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where it's moving towards is more about getting people communicating better around estimation and getting it to be less of a pain point. Oh, it's Google Wave. Yeah, it's Google Wave. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Um, can you tell us more about these Monte Carlo simulations that sort of sit as part of the tech driving this this tool? Yeah, sure. Um, it's going to be dry. <laughs> it's maths. It's statistics. Um, essentially, Monte Carlo is this idea that you... It's based on, like, like, literally the casino of Monte Carlo, but it's based on the idea that, like, rather than... Um, so if you can estimate something, there's lots, you could just say it's going to be this number. That's probably a pretty reductive way of saying it. Or you can say it's going to be between this number and this number. It's a minimum and a maximum. Which a lot of a lot of people do it that way. And then, so that you still can't, if you add up all the minimums, you know, all the maximums, you're going to get a really small number and a really big number, and neither of those are really useful. So the gut instinct might be to average it. Average is not actually that useful because that's 50% between your absolute minimum and your absolute maximum, which means that if you aim for that number, there's still a 50% chance that you're going to not do it in that time because your mm-hmm. maximum is still 50% on one side of that number. I don't know if this makes any sense so far. Yeah, it does to me. Um, so rather than doing that, you can run that those numbers, and in, what we've included is also like a most likely number, through 10,000 simulations, which essentially is like rolling a dice 10,000 times. And you're basically saying the real number is not the average of those numbers. It's somewhere in between with just like a dose of... Chaos. I did. I did like the um, uh, analogy in here of waiting. I'm going to uh, collect a bus or connect yeah, with a yeah. bus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's somewhere. It's it's on a continuum in between those things, and you can't do that with like a simple, like the simple pert. If you come from a traditional project management background, it's just like a simple like add these things up and then divide them by a number, and mm-hmm. that doesn't really account for the reality of of what's going on. So. That engine is kind of running in the background. At the moment, you can plug your numbers in, you do your minimums and maximums, and it will do that calculation for you, which is useful, but I just don't... I don't think yet it's solving a problem that people are trying to solve. Like, they might, it might be useful for them, but they don't know that they need to solve this problem. So what I'm trying to design now is a way to take that technology and that simulation, which is still really useful, mm. but put it into a flow that is actually kind of within the way that people are already thinking about estimating and using terms and, and methodologies that they're already kind of into, like including going like a little bit more towards the agile stuff, which mm-hmm. is like very like best practice at the moment. And I think like the way that we framed it at the moment makes it come across as a waterfall kind of tool. And I know that like I, we, we did it that way so we could build the technology, not because we knew that that was the end solution, but now that I think that we've done more research you can take that same engine and rather than do it between the minimum and the maximum, you could do it in like an agile poker planning. You know, you could do estimate poker with it. You could put in five different people, put five different estimates in, and then you run the simulation over those five estimates rather than one person's guess. So you can kind of use that same technology and reframe it in different ways depending on how you want to spin it. And I think mm. that's in a way, even though like... I want it to be a different product right now and I want it to be like way better than it is. There's two people working on it part time and we are, you know, I think we put something up and we've got feedback from it and now we're able to like move forward and build it into something else. So 
it's hard doing things lean, but it's it's very rewarding to actually get that feedback from people using the product. Was your time estimate for creating this um, accurate? Or? Uh, you can't. Uh, it's really, <laughs> honestly, like we have not set estimates ourselves for mm. this product because... It's time, right? Well, yeah, and it's also like for us, the way that we've set it up is that I'm still working a part-time job and Dave is still contracting. So like, we're not like, we will eventually have to decide whether to continue working on this thing, but we've set it up in a way that we want to give ourselves a lot of time to get it right. And we don't, we're not really under pressure to do it very, very fast. And I think part of the constraints that this product is trying to solve is people who are in like constrained environments where they have to do it quickly or they have to do it cheaply. Mm. And neither of those things are, extremely important they will be but they're not right now for us and how did you find that sort of idea of, sort of stepping away from the product itself about doing the startup mentality and be able to build it yourself i'm doing the geeky thing here and i'm using a plugin in chrome to see what technologies you're using within the the system you could have just uh, asked yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want to in, interrupt and drop the program with boring <laughs> stuff like this um did you was it quite? How did you make your decisions on what were you going to use? I mean, Stripe's really easy to integrate for yeah. payment systems, and um, I know they're using Cloud for, Cloudflare, and it's I, I see all those things straight away. I know what they all are. Was it an easy decision to kind of decide what you wanted to do, or did you did you? How did you start your startup? Like yeah. everyone, I'm trying to think of the audience of, that, we're, that we're talking to, and quite often they they've got an idea, but they don't know what to do with it. Like yeah. Um, so we started, so one thing that we knew that we wanted to do with this product and which we are starting to get to building now is we knew that we wanted it to be collaborative. So part of like part of estimation and project planning um, that I think causes pain for people is when it gets locked up with one person and that person can't kind of share that knowledge or um, their analysis with the team. So we, want, we wanted it to be something that the team, like a team of people could do together. And that in itself is quite a big technical challenge to get like live collaborative editing on something. And that was what kind of drove us towards the stack that we chose now. And it is really hard to navigate the world of tech stacks and what language mm -hmm. should I learn and how should I build this and what stack is right for this. And the, the reality is you kind of need a broad knowledge of lots of different tech stacks to make a good decision and we did a lot of research. So we actually spent probably close to a year researching the newest tech stacks and what's out there and what's available and we ended up coming to the decision that this functional programming language closure script was going to be the right tool for this job. Not, mm -hmm. Neither of us knew how to do it so we've also taught ourselves how to do that to make this product. It's written in ClojureScript like across the board so the back end and the front end are both ClojureScript. And we came from a background of like, we were both doing PHP programming before and a bit of JavaScript. And so this is kind of a new, a new thing for us to learn, but we have seen it pay off as well. Like the, the, the kind of speed that we're able to get with passing data around and the way that the database works and the kind of different things that are happening in this space are very much geared towards the kind of app that we want to build. So it wasn't, a snap decision like we did spend our time really researching and trying to figure out what was going to work best and I think it's hard because like you go to a you know a web dev course or a general assembly course or something or you know whatever course you do and you learn a specific stack and it's really good to learn a stack of things like from mm. you know back to the front but there's just so much out there and you know things are changing every day and I think the reality is 
you know, if, if you only have a hammer, then every every tool, every job is a nail or whatever it mm. is, then I think that's the thing is like people can get too locked into mm. one kind of programming stack. And it's happening yeah. more and more with sort of the JavaScript stuff as well, right? Yeah, I could, I could throw in when I was at Medtasker, we used Go and I know that the um, CTO hadn't written in Go before, but mm. he did a lot of research and he thought a lot about what was the right language to send data around in the back end for the needs. Um, so I, like just to add to that, like if you at least start with what are the needs of your tool and your users and then try and work back from there rather than like, what are the cool services and what are the cool frameworks and you know, what's just hyped getting, at the moment? What's hyped yeah. at the moment? Because like, if you can get realistic about what you actually, what problems you're actually solving, that at least should give you some constraints to start with. The other big thing that led us to this approach was that we knew, and this is kind of bigger than this product, we knew that if this product didn't work out, and we still don't know if it will, if it didn't work out, we would want to try something else. So what we really want to be able to do is kind of create a library of components that we can reshuffle and turn into a new product. And we're pretty far along that road. Like we've done a pretty good job of creating a cool component library. Tell them the name, it's so good. It's called Wheel, so you don't reinvent the wheel. Mm. <laughs> um, Such a dork joke, I love it so much. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we're kind of shifting, we're shifting everything into Wheel so we can then, like if we want to, take Wheel and build something new out of it quite quickly. So it is, probably it's kind of that um typical programming cliche of like it's not really cliche it's a functional programming cliche of like simple versus easy so it's it's easy to do things like just like whip it up a prototype and get it out there um and that means it's fast at the start and then over time because you just whipped it up and you didn't really think very much about it it gets slower and slower and slower because Mm -hmm. of the tech debt that's building up and everything like that Mm. whereas it's 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 simple, so rather than easy, it's simple to build a, a library of things. Spokes, and then, if you will. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> oh, kind of yeah, like, like Lego bricks actually. Like mm. it's the the um, the metaphor that Rich Hickey uses is Lego bricks versus like a knitted house. So like you mm. can knit a house up and knit it up, and it's all done. Cool, you've got a knitted house, but good luck if you want to try and change that house later. Mm. If you build your house out of Lego bricks, it might be harder at the start. It's gonna be easier when you want to repurpose it. If people want to uh, give it a crack and and uh, and um, estimate their projects better, where should they go? Estimatework.com. Estimatework.com. It looks like a great idea, and whether it comes out um, as this particular Lego house or um, in a, another jumble of components, um, we hope it goes really well. Thank you. Uh, we have um, about 20 minutes left in the show, and we would like to talk about music because uh, that's a very important part of this station. Um, if you like uh, music everywhere, including uh, in your house, in your shed uh, at the holiday home wherever um, places like parlor gigs and now 68 uh, can help you do that uh, we're now joined in the studio by managing director of 68 Keith Sue Keith thanks for coming in thanks for having me it's, uh, it's great to be here no trouble at all uh, so are you um, are you a, do you come from the music side of things are you a music fan that just wanted to make it better for music or were you more sort of on the, the business side of this thing or uh more more a fan than a musician i have mm. to say um <laughs> to bash the ukulele every now and then but um but yeah look uh both my business partner and i have a lot of uh links and friends within the industry primarily mm. um and, and both kind of came to this idea from different sides uh really so he 
he has a, a great thirst for seeing live music, um, as do I. But uh, but he was uh, one weekend trying to get someone to to just come around for a cocktail party and play for for friends, basically, and uh, and that was a bit of a nightmare of a process to try and and go through. Uh, for my part, I was. Uh, almost on the other side i won't say that i was the musician involved but um i was living in zurich at the time and uh and a friend of mine who i did a bit of a a monday night jam with was this brilliant saxophonist from um, new orleans and he was uh as i said living in zurich because he didn't know anyone there he found it really really tough to get gigs even though he was a brilliant musician uh, in his own right um so you know one night having a couple of beers and uh and i thought this this isn't right so um my business partner sarab and i had a bit of a discussion, and uh, and this is what fell out of it. Really, um, uh, a couple of years later, here we are. So, what are the some of the key problems around getting uh, musicians in front of people and audience? What, yeah, what are some of the problems that it, that it does solve? Yeah, look, I think it's uh, it's twofold. So there's there's two sides to this market, and the you know the challenging thing for us, but also the really rewarding thing for us is that the problems exist on both sides. From a host's perspective, so someone that wants to consume live music, it, it's it's a really opaque industry. Uh, unless you know people in it, it's almost impossible to get an understanding of how you can access a live band, how much they're going to cost, uh, and or just even how you can get them to to an event or a wedding, let alone you know playing at your own own house or down down the park with you. So. That's that's a real challenge to try and break down within the industry. On the musician side, they also suffer from that opaqueness. Unless they they reach a certain level of you know um, exposure within the industry, it's not even really necessarily related to talent. But unless they know the right people, if they find it very difficult to get gigs and try and make money from their talent, so we want to try and open that up a bit, let people you know, decide for themselves and link up with artists in their own right. And hopefully, you know, these really talented people out here, out there can uh, can actually start making money off their talent. I was smashing the karaoke last night and all day I've been really <laughs> struggling to connect to venues that want to um, harness my talent. Maybe maybe Succeed is the way to go. Make a profile, mate. Yeah. Um, oh, I have my own equipment. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have a YouTube clip? Because, uh, <coughs> you know, that, that'll help for bookings. Oh, there's, <laughs> a, there's some moments out there somewhere. Um, so uh, what's, what's the process in um, knitting all of this together? I mean, it's, you know, getting a sort of calendar-based sort of booking system up might not have been like the hardest thing, but how do you get, is it reaching a critical mass of performers and hosts and those kinds of things? What's what's the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge and the thing that we identified right at the start is there needs to be a focus on community and trust. Otherwise, the platform doesn't work. I mean, you can, you can make the best technical solution ever, but unless you start to, to build... Um, you know, a, a community where both sides are happy to make the transaction, the relationship transaction, then it's not going to happen. Um, you know, you're, you're potentially inviting someone into your house. So there needs to be a really strong rating system um, and uh, a, a two-way rating system as well because obviously artists need assurance too. Um, the, the payment system needs, you know, while we would love to do it in-house, we understand that people are more comfortable with going off-site to do that, so we went through Stripe um, to to keep it, you know, pe- people nice and comfortable with the transaction as well. Um, but also just trying to drive the cultural change. I mean, the the 
idea at its core, although venues and, you know, uh, people like wedding planners and event planners can use this, the idea at its, is at its core is for people like you and me to, you know, to get people into our, into our houses. And that's a, quite a new concept. So it's about driving that message and trying to get people really interested and experimental with the ways that they can use live music to try and open that right up. Mm. Interesting. Um, um, I've got a pretty dry question, but I'm curious because sure. having done some art stuff in the past, like what are the insurance requirements around something like this? Like sending people with big equipment to people's houses and like having people come in potentially paying money for the privilege of coming to the house to see the artists. Like how does that all work? Sure. At the moment, because just because of our scale, we're very open and transparent on the fact that you require your own insurance and we mm. advise that you do have your own insurance, but we can't make recommendations about what you do, obviously, for legal reasons. As we move down the track, it really is our um, our vision that we start to take some of that role, much in the mm. way that Airbnb does, for argument's yeah. sake. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, like, like if it can if it can take care of it, that obviously would smooth the way for small bands and people who don't necessarily want to have their own liability insurance following them around all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So that's something that we, you know, we want to move into that space mm. eventually. Mm. Um, but at the moment, we... I mean, we want people to be able to make that decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. we, we need to be transparent and people need to understand what risks they're taking on. But if they're happy to take those risks, then they should be able to do it as well. It's different if you've just got you and a ukulele versus you and like a six piece band, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. There's there's common sense needs to apply. Yeah. Um, and how long have you guys been out in the market? Uh, about six weeks now since we've uh, since we've really pushed out. So really exciting times. Um, as I'm as I'm sure people out there have uh, launched a startup. No, not a lot of sleep going on at the moment, but uh, but a lot of excitement. Um, so we, we pushed out into Sydney, uh, and now initially, and now we're pushing out into uh, broader Australian markets. So down here and and Brisbane out out to Perth, um, and then you know the plan will be through next year to, to slowly push into a, a global expansion, which is, uh, which is really the aim, um, which falls back into that community thing. I mean, you want artists to be able to use this to travel overseas and, and get gigs overseas as well, so. How have you uh, sort of reached to find the artists to get on it? Has it sort of been working really well with word of mouth or have you done some sort of marketing campaign to try and get, get the talent on there to then hire in the first place? Yeah, uh, look, marketing campaign. Um, I mean, it's a fairly easy sell for artists, to be honest. It's it's free for them to sign up, so it's only really a time, in, time investment. Mm. Um, so we throw it out through our PR channels. We also... Uh, offer them some assistance with their their PR as well. Um, we're really happy if they've got gigs coming up and they're part of the 6-8 platform, even if they're not 6-8 gigs, to, you know, give them a wrap in our um, newsletter and, and do featured artist posts on them. So, you know, we're about supporting the, the live music community. That's first and foremost what we want to do. So um, we're very artist-centric. Great. Do you have um, a kind of a list of features or, or sort of iterations for the site that you kind of want to push out there? I kind of, I was thinking about um, one from a few years ago that was a great idea and sort of ended up having no features, which was a Good Films, which was just a recommendation kind of engine. And they had a great kind of um, XY axis that was really nice. But everyone just used to stop them all the time in the elevator. I'm like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And on the Android app, we need this. Do you, do you guys 
sort of think about that? Are you kind of oh, you working towards like a nerdy kind of schedule for getting that stuff out? Yeah, yeah, we do. And like it, it keeps growing um, mm. as as you were alluding to there. Um, <laughs> not only from us, but from, you know, people that we, we're getting on the platform, mm. which is great. I mean, we always say to them that this is this is their thing more than our thing. We want them to grow it. You know, so we're always happy for ideas on which direction we should we should go with it. Um, you know, in saying that, when we when we first sat down on that fateful weekend where we the, the idea kind of coalesced, we had this huge whiteboard of concepts and ideas, and it was really about pairing them back to the you know the minimum viable product to what we could get out initially, which is what this is. Um, so our our visions are much broader, um, and you know, there's some quite interesting components in there I think <laughs> so if people would like to um, get on there and uh, set up a gig at their place or set themselves up as an artist where where should they go uh, the website's www.68.com.au so the 68's spelt S-I-X and then the number 8 mm-hmm. um, and if you want to stay informed with everything that's going on and what's happening with, happening with our artists also obviously jump onto our socials at Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter and uh, you know we, we're fairly active on our socials so that'll uh, give you a good indication of where we're at and what's going on I think it's um, I think it's great I, I especially like the the validation and the kind of trusting um, that's super important so just knowing that someone's going to turn up because um, it's a production you know it's kind of it was a production just getting people here on the public transport network tonight so <laughs> knowing that yeah. someone's going to turn up you know <laughs> is, a, is a big thing so um, Keith um, congratulations and, and good luck Thanks so much, guys. Uh, we have a few minutes left. Um, there are a few stories that um, we did want to um, get you across. Um, kangaroos have been causing some problems for Volvos, uh, I understand, Laura. It's pretty funny. They're they're working in conjunction with Uber to try and improve their self-driving car capabilities, and mm. they've been using different animals that are not kangaroos for large animal detection and they found that kangaroos bouncing and um, hopping is in fact very hard for their sensors to detect and understand particularly if they're coming towards them or moving away from them which in a car situation is fairly important to know um, so yes this this is um, a roo problem that needs a roo solution God, full of puns tonight. And, and she's out. <laughs> <laughs> Mic <Mike> drop. <laughs> um, James, another thing that's um, around uh, AI. Um, yeah, Google did an experiment uh, with, um, they kind of wanted to re- relate it around living in uh, in suburban city areas with uh, the constant noise um, and nature not really getting through to you and being able to hear it. So they did this, uh, recorded all these chirping birds uh, in the morning and the songs that they play at dusk and then put them through a uh, artificial intelligence to work out uh, how to compile them into a visual interpretation. Uh, what's so beautiful about it, it's um, aiexperiments.withgoogle.com forward slash bird dash sounds. Um, it's I just wanted to bring this up even though be just because of the beauty of it, the way it's been pulled together and the information that's there. And they've actually put it on GitHub as well, so you can download all these all these audio pieces. I quite I personally when I walk to work I walk by a creek and I make that time of forty five minutes to not listen not to use my phone and not listen to music just so I can hear the sound of the water and then just kinda of have that moment to re- reset my brain before I go into the office. Mm-hmm. And now this other this I've noticed that more and more and especially in the end of last year and the start of this year, that a lot of the bigger companies are starting to try and create that 
away from tech experience inside tech experiences. <laughs> so like, you know, it's kind of like that. They're kind of bringing it around to realize that some people just want to step away from things and have sort of an ambient noise or so. Mm. I thought this would be a nice one to bring up. And it looks beautiful, seeing all these sounds and how the, the, the and artificial intelligence actually ordered them in terms of the sound and turned that interpret it into a visual. So mm. that'd be a beautiful piece of artwork. It's like all these waves of sound being mapped into a visual. So Amazing. That's really nice. Um, another thing that promises to be amazing, uh, a declaration, James, you may be at uh, Make It, um, which is coming up, but um, looks amazing. What, what, what would you be most excited about? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the other people and actually for the first time probably doing a run-through before I actually am on stage. <laughs> um, it's, uh, there's about 2,000 people going. Uh, the, the, what's nice about this is uh, it's quite... It's very affordable, and it's got an international lineup apart from yours truly, um, which is just a nice way of being able to sort of get most co- most of the conferences I've been to are usually quite focused on people talking about how good they are and what they've done rather than about trying to give you a little bit of insight of education. This has got uh, six, uh, I think it's five or six key speakers, and then another five or six key speakers from Adobe educating the audience on how to use mm. their products. Um, obviously, it's a little bit of a marketing tool, but it's also a really good way of being able to understand some new technologies. I don't know if you looked at the Adobe Creative Suite these days, it's mm. huge. Mm. I don't, I don't, I looked, I don't mm. know what half this stuff is. Mm. So mm. there's a bit of information there, but there's also sessions on the day before of all different things of how-tos and run-through um, like sessions. Mm. So, and it's, I think it's, it's, it's under $300. So mm. Amazing. You can check it out at makeitapack.adobe.com. One thing I did pick up in uh, the socials today was um, you've got a day or two left, I think, to uh, apply to present um, or run something at PauseFest next year. So oh, there yeah, are right. ten, mm. 10 or so categories to um, mm. that you can be involved in, even if you just want to get up on the stage and, and have a chat um, with people. That is a good opportunity. There's just a, a little bit to go. Um, it was a fun show. It was good to um, talk about some of the areas that we're all really interested in, um, being project estimation, um, just between all of us here, and um, and music. Um, does that sort of give you any thoughts for what you want to do with the rest of your week? Are you? I, I'm I'm struggling with music discovery. I always do. I don't feel like mm. I find enough. You know, even though we're involved in radio, so I'm gonna see if I can find a new way to do that. I was thinking I should have like a dedicated time to look for new for new artists and new music. Like literally, just put some time aside and make it a task. Mm. Um, I was also thinking I should time estimate my side projects and not let them blow out of scope as they always do. That's literally what I'm saying. To have literally, my order is to buy some post-it notes to start my own side project. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a podcast from Three Triple R One Hundred Two Point Seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.